Welcome to Thrive Radio, expert visionary and innovative business, life, and relationship advice to live a life of doing the impossible with your host, Amy Montgomery. Amy Montgomery, entrepreneur and digital marketing agency owner. Today, my guest is Atara Weisberger. She's a wellness specialist at Tribe Health, a board certified health and wellness coach trained at the Mayo Clinic, cancer recovery specialist and health educator with over two decades of experience coaching individuals and families to vibrant health. Atara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Glad to be here. So can you share your journey with us, how you started the Mayo Clinic and how you became a coach? Sure. So my family has a long-ish history at the Mayo Clinic. My father has done some teaching there and come from a family of physicians, but they are very typical, like uh, more typical medical, like traditional medical, I guess you would say. And I was always into health and fitness. I was always an athlete, um, always conscious of what I ate and, um, but it was not my career. I actually started out in the environmental field. And it wasn't until later, and when I started having kids and my kids were little and I was looking for something a little more flexible. And so I started looking into doing wellness full-time. So I started out as a personal trainer and then I moved into nutrition and combined those two. Then eventually myself along with a partner created an all women's gym called The Tribe. And that was an amazing adventure for four years. We did that and we built a really strong community of women. And the whole thrust of the tribe was so different from a lot of fitness studios because my belief has always been like inside out. So yes, we had amazing classes. Yes, we had amazing instructors and people loved the workouts, but they also knew that it was a place where they could literally and figuratively let their hair down. And it was a space that, um, really encouraged women to take care of themselves. So about a year into that, my business partner moved down to Florida with her husband and I kept the studio open by myself for another three years. And then at some point I really had to make a decision if this is really what I wanted to do or not. And at that point I decided like, what was, I, I didn't want to run the studio anymore because you spend so much time on the business instead of in the business. And I really loved working directly with women. So I looked at the piece of it that I felt like I connected to the most. And it was really when I got to sit down and work with women one-on-one to help them get in touch with what's most important to them, what wellness means to them as individuals, and then to help create a roadmap for them to follow that is something that they feel like they relate to and that was co-created by us to move them forward. So I was like, well, is there a name for that job? So there is now, but at that time there wasn't so much of a name for it. And I had already been doing it and called myself like a health consultant or a wellness consultant. And then I started doing a little bit more research and I realized that there, and I knew that there were certifications from some fly-by-night organizations, but I really wanted to, I really wanted to go to to whoever the best was in the field of health coaching at the time. So the Mayo Clinic is, of course, one of the top medical institutions in the world. And it turns out that they had a coaching program, wellness coaching program. So I did that and then went through the board certification process and, and then pivoted my business from there. I already had um, like a nice following, if you will. And so just pivoted from being a fitness studio owner to just focusing on wellness coaching. 
So that was, that's how it went. Nice. And walking through your journey, what are you grateful for? Oh, wow. Gosh, I'm grateful for so much. I'm grateful for how much I learn from my clients all the time about what strength and resilience looks like. I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful for the mentors that I have. I'm grateful for how diverse my experiences have been in life and in in my professional world. I don't know if I would have always chosen such a bumpy ride, but I have gained wisdom from every single step. And I'm just so grateful for that. And yeah, just grateful for the good people out there. The news wants to tell us that everybody's a little confused and messed up, but the reality is that there are a lot of amazing people still out there and I'm grateful every time I meet one. So. Yes, definitely. So what are the top issues women ages 33 to 55 start to deal with? Wow. That is such a good question. I think they start to deal with feeling like their body is not on the same team as they are anymore. And I think they start to feel like that there are changes going on that aren't because of any particular change in their behavior, but for things that are a little bit more outside of their control. I think they struggle with that. For sure, they struggle with weight. They struggle with fatigue. As you get closer to perimenopause, there's a lot of challenges with sleep and mood. That becomes a big issue. Emotionality, of course. And just, I think that... If you've had good habits, when you start to move into your late 30s, 40s, early 50s, if you've had good habits, sometimes those even have to be adjusted because you still see change anyway. And if you've had bad habits, they start to catch up with you at that point. And you may have what you got away with at 20 and 30. By the time you hit your mid-30s and mid-40s, you can't get away with that anymore. So unless you want to continue down this path of not taking care of yourself, you're going to start to feel it increasingly. So those are a lot of the things that, and I also think as you get more into the 50s that you start to look more philosophically at your life. Like the, the drive for meaning becomes greater the drive to understand the universe and your place in it becomes greater. In your 30s, you're building your career or you're building a family or you're doing both. And But I think as we get older and we hit midlife and beyond, we start to really ask like the big questions. Why am I here? What's important? What's my time worth? And I think we also have a better sense of ourselves and we have more confidence because we have more life experience. So the good side is, is that there, the pressure to be something for someone else starts to fall away more. And I think that gives us the space that we need to be able to take care of ourselves better if that's what we choose to do. Why is there not a one size fits all approach to when it comes to health? because everybody's body chemistry is different. Everybody's psychological makeup is different. Everybody's historical background, meaning your family, the food culture or the health culture that you grew up in is different. Expectations are different. There's just no such thing that it just can't. And we've seen the utter failure of that in the marketplace, that the number of diets that if you could point me to a diet that's worked for everybody, 
aside from object, like abject starvation, <laughs> you're <laughs> not going to be able to point it because it's some things work for some people and some things don't. That's just everything about us is too different for one size fits all to really work. Yeah. I really like that, especially because you can notice how different foods make you feel and mm -hmm. it's never the same across the board for people. So one person can eat bread and Hey, that's great. It's great for me. Maybe they eat some really healthy bread and it's great and some right. really healthy fruit and it's great for them. The next person is like, yeah, no. <laughs> yep. A hundred percent. There's so much body chemistry, individuality, and even throughout your life for one person. Like I, when I was younger, I could get away with, I was a vegetarian for a long time. And now that I'm in my fifties, I can't, I can't do that anymore. I don't process carbohydrates the same way as I used to, even if they're quote unquote healthy carbohydrates like brown rice and fruits and my body processes proteins and low carbohydrate vegetables much better at this stage. And so I had to make diet adjustments if I wasn't going to feel starving and shaky all, all the time. And that wasn't because anything in my life changed other than my body chemistry with age. So yeah, even so within a single person's life, it changes. How's your physical health connected to your mental health? That's a great question. I think they're inseparable. If you want the scientific thinking right now, we know that the gut produces the vast majority of neurotransmitters in the brain. So whether that's serotonin or norepinephrine or dopamine, that most neurotransmitters come from a healthy gut. So if your gut isn't healthy, you're going to feel that in your mind. That's the quite literal connection. And then of course, that the way we think about things. So if you look at IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, for example, and how much that's linked to stress, remember that the train drives in both directions. So your gut health impacts your mental state. Obviously, if you have more sugar and you're eating foods that your body doesn't process well, it creates inflammation in the body and the brain is just as sensitive to inflammation as any other organ, if not more so. So any foods that your body doesn't react well with are going to drive the inflammation process in your body. So let's say that you're genetically prone to migraines. If you're in a high inflammatory state, it's going to bring out whatever the weak link in the chain is, so to speak. So let's say that you, we, all, we like to say that genetics loads the gun and lifestyle pulls the trigger right? So just because you have a genetic tendency towards something doesn't mean that's going to get expressed, but our diet will. So if you have any leanings towards things happening in your brain, one of my kids is epileptic. And one of the treatments, the non-medicine treatments for epilepsy, of course, is the ketogenic diet, which has become known as a weight loss diet. But it was never meant originally to be that. It was meant to be a very high fatty acid diet because the brain's made out of fatty acids. And when you know people go on these very, very low carb, modest protein, high fat diets, their brains do well with it. So there's that, the connection of the gut health impacting the brain. It also, how we eat acts as a trigger for those genetic tendencies. And then of course, whatever's going on in our brain impacts our gut, which is what the doctor will often tell you if you have IBS, how well are you managing stress? The good doctors will mm -hmm. ask you, how well are you managing stress? They won't just write a prescription. They'll ask about your lifestyle, right? 
So I say that with all due respect to physicians. So it's that train that drives in both directions and it's very powerful connection. So I actually did some intermittent fasting, just actually, I wasn't, I was just trying to lose some weight and I thought, well, I'll just skip lunch. Right. Right. I thought it would be easier for me than to just cut down every single meal and feel deprived. So that was my logic. And I did it for four days and it, it, I've been diagnosed with high functioning anxiety and it completely wiped out the anxiety Hmm. day four. I was like, wow, it went away. And I also was diagnosed with ADD and that went away as well. Now it it, it would come back depending on what I eat, but I found that the intermittent fasting, like it absolutely is connected to anxiety, my anxiety levels and what I'm eating is absolutely connected. So I can testify to that. For sure. And And intermittent fasting is really its greatest asset is that it reduces inflammation simply because you're giving your gut a chance to rest. If your body's busy all day, every day with the work of digesting food, and especially with the work of digesting foods that may or may not be good for us, when you give your body that length of time, the 12 plus hours of fasting, the inflammation goes down because you're just allowing your system to rest from digestion and go about its business of cleaning up the rest of the house, so to speak. And so it's very powerful for that. Probably even, I would say it's greatest strong point, even more so than just weight loss. That makes sense. I like that. Yeah. So what are some of the top ways to fight cancer with your diet? I think there are a couple of pieces to that. One is reducing your chemical exposure. So that means choosing the source of your food very carefully. So whatever you can find that's organic, eating meats and dairy products and fish that are as clean as possible. Grass-fed meat, for example, if it's 100% grass-fed, we know that it's much higher in the healthy fatty acids, like the higher in omega-3s, as opposed to more factory-raised meat, which is higher in omega-6s. So it's reducing, there's two parts to it is that reduction of load of exposure. There are a lot of things that we can't do that anything about right now in volume. So if you live in an area where the air quality isn't so great, yeah, you can have an air filter in your house, but you can't affect change on the big level. So where can you control your exposure to toxic chemicals really in what we eat and what we drink? I think that mindfulness, again, that mind-body connection, so to speak, mindfulness and stress reduction. Stress is very hard on the system and finding ways to manage stress better. And whether it's working on self-compassion or it's working on acceptance or it's working on your spirituality or digging into what gives you meaning in life or working on adding more joy to your life. Like I do this thing every day, especially now when it's cold in New York and I don't like to go out so much and just working from home and COVID is like, I try and say to myself, what's one thing I can do from home that will make today feel a little better? like that will be joyful for me, something small, something accessible. What's one thing today that I'll feel like I gave myself a little joyful treat today. What was that treat? And it depends on my mood, different, whether it's a bubble bath or it's a glass of wine, or it's like 
laying on my rug and listening to music or doing something with one of my kids or whatever it is. Like I try and find something that every single day, and that really helps. And people work on gratitude and those are all great things. And then of course, making sure that your nutrients are high. So that means having good quality foods and reducing the inflammatory foods, the sugars and the refined carbohydrates and all the stuff that we all know and movement, of course movement, both for stress reduction. And I say movement instead of exercise, because a lot of people really don't like the structured exercise. So if you, you don't have to go to the gym, uh, you can garden, you can push your lawnmower around, you can go for a hike, you can walk your dog, you can, I don't know, paint one of your rooms, you can anything a hundred years ago and, uh, and back, there were no gyms, right? But people moved as part of their daily life. So just move however you're going to enjoy moving. And that's also a, a really amazing, uh, amazing tool for people if they're up for it, depending on where they are in their cancer treatment process. Obviously, at certain times in the cancer journey, you're not going to have the energy for that, but could be sitting outside on your deck then and taking in some rays that could be helpful too. So what are some simple ways that those that are listening can start to improve their wellness today? So uh, the first thing is to look at what you're doing well. So think of wellness as like a spectrum of behaviors. We're just talking about physical wellness, which means sleep, stress management, exercise, food, hydration. If we look at just those five categories, say to yourself, like, what am I doing well? So let's say that you're one of those people who likes to work out or you like to cook or you're just an active person by nature, or you're, you've already got a meditation practice down pat. So look at what you're doing really well, and then look at an area that you would really like to improve in and see where you are now. Be specific, like write down like what your behaviors are now, and then what your behaviors you would like them to be. And then take one small step, like really small, so if you're trying to acquire an exercise habit and your goal is that you want to learn how to run a 5k, that's your goal. So your first week goal may be to look up couch to 5k training programs online. That's your step for the first week. That's your whole step. Just break it down into bite-sized pieces. Or if it's, let's say you don't want to eat after dinner anymore, you want to stop noshing at night. You don't want to snack at night anymore. So then the first night you're going to stop at nine. The first week you're going to stop at 930. Then the second week you're going to stop at 915. Then the third week you're going to stop at nine until you gradually get used to that and move the needle back until you, you are where you want to be. But try not to make these kind of New Year's resolution, grandiose, sweeping. I'm never touching sugar again, because then when it doesn't work out, then you feel bad. And then you're just like, forget it. A lot of us have this tendency, like if I'm not doing it all, I'm not doing any of it. And uh, this helps to stop that. So just breaking things down into those little micro bites, but having a very clear goal in mind. So the other thing in coaching, people come to me and I'll be like, what is it that, what are you hoping to achieve? And they'll say, I want to be in great shape to me in great shape to you in great shape to Jane and great shape to Bob have four totally different definitions. So tell me what that looks like for you. And where do you think you are now? And what's between here and there? 
and then those bite-sized pieces. So get as granular about your definitions so that when you've reached success, that you can look back down the mountain and say, look how far I came. Look at all those steps I took to go from the base of the mountain all the way up to here. That's pretty cool. But you really have to know like where you're going on the mountain. So, yeah. And I can testify to that. The fact that I haven't eaten sugar since 2016 and -hmm. I had to give that up and it was hard. And not only was it hard to just give it up, but it's in everything. Mm -hmm. And so it took me like, I think, oh, I'm not eating sugar and I've been eating a nice Trader Joe's salad. And I look at the ingredients and I'm like, or those sneaky sugar alcohols they put in there and it says zero sugars, but there's sugar alcohols in it, which is the same thing. Right. And it's so frustrating how they hide it and they'll call Mm -hmm. it different things. You go in there and it's like zero sugar corn syrup. Yeah. (laughs) So it takes such a long time to figure out what you can eat Mm -hmm. and you go through that process. And it took me a long time to go through that process of understanding what I could and couldn't eat. And in the sense of what was had sugar in it and what didn't have sugar in it, it's not an instant thing by any means. It's a journey. Did you make the change wholesale? Did you like just stop completely? You just cold turkeyed it? Yeah, I tried as much as I could, but then you go back and you start to go, oh, I'm still eating sugar because I realized it was in the stressing. I'm still mm. eating sugar because there's, I, I got, I had this iced tea, it's an unsweetened iced tea. And I, op- I look at it, there's sugar in it, a journey of, yeah, I went cold Turkey as far as what I knew had sugar in it, but then no desserts, no, none of that stuff. Right. But then it was really getting into looking at labels and understanding the different sugar types and what to, what to look for, because you could walk in someplace and it says it's sugar-free and it's not right. So that was a journey in of itself and really understanding then, okay, so I'm eliminating all these things. What are the brands that are good? What are the ones that aren't? And that's a big journey. And from an emotional perspective, it wasn't easy because you start to, you do feel a little bit deprived in the beginning because yeah. you're, because you don't know what you're able to eat. Mm-hmm. And like my cheats now are like tonight, I'm making myself a steak, mm-hmm. right? And I don't eat fatty steaks all of the time. Cause I know that's not good for my digestion, but that's my treat. And right. that's what I go to instead of the desserts. Mm-hmm. And you just have to right. find your own new vice and your taste buds right. change. Like I eat onions now and they taste sweet, sweet to me. Right. Right. So it's true. You do. You find your own way of, you know, treating yourself, so to speak. Right. For sure. I I think our taste buds definitely can change. Yeah. No question about it. Can you share some of your client success stories? I'll tell you like something that I think is a success that I have seen a bunch of times, which is going to sound a bit counterintuitive. When someone comes to me for weight loss, which is weight loss is fine. Like having a healthy body weight is very important. It's not that I think that's not important, but when women come in and they say, I want to be X pounds, I am currently 170 pounds and I want to be 130 pounds. And I often ask them, how did you pick that number? Like, how did you pick 130? Well, because, and they'll tell me the reason why they chose that number. So if I ask them, sometimes it'll be like, when was the last time that you were 130 pounds? Well, I was 14. 
okay, nothing wrong with losing weight, but there are, you can do, especially once you're in your forties and fifties, you can do things right and still have a hard time losing weight. And so women end up going through these cycles of like dieting, not having results, getting frustrated, dieting, not having results, or that they get results, but they have to go so intense about their diet changes and so restrictive that they just can't maintain it. They feel like it takes the joy out of their life to a certain extent. And I always know that we're making real progress when the client gets to a place where they don't want to focus on the number anymore. They want to focus on how they feel. And as soon as they get to that place, and I just had a client a couple of weeks ago who finally got to that place of, not that I don't have clients who lose weight, I do, but when a client has been yo-yo dieting their whole life, when they've been at war with their body their whole life, and they're just exhausted from the battle, And by doing the internal work that we do, that client gets to a place where they say, I want to feel good. And I do want to look good, but first I want to feel good. And then we go about whether you feel good or not. I mean, of course, you know, things happen that are out of our control, but for the most part, we can have a tremendous amount of say over what makes us feel good and then make choices from that place. And as soon as I know that we're shifting away from the scale and looking at behaviors that they want to take on when they look at values that they wanna lean into in their lives, then I know that the coaching has been successful because they've moved into this more internal space and they wanna be in touch with what is truly most important to them in life, as opposed to what they've told should be important to them in life. And when we get to that place in coaching, I, I, I always am like, I smile and I'm happy. And I always say to them, congratulations, you have succeeded at coaching. Again, not because there's anything wrong with coming into me and saying, I want to lose weight. There's nothing wrong with that. And I will work with that. But if that's been your struggle and you've been at war with your body and you finally decide that you want to befriend it instead of continue to battle it, when you get to that place that you want to befriend your body, I know we've already won. And that's an amazing thing. That's my favorite. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I haven't weighed myself. I don't have no clue how much I weigh. And I haven't weighed myself in years. But for the reason that you say is that I focus more on how I feel. And logically, am I eating healthy or, or am I not? And if I gain weight, it's because I didn't make the best decisions. And so right. then you go back to, okay, well, let's just eat healthy. And it's no longer a problem. Right. You and know, there's also the piece of that lifts the shame from it. If you're looking at, are my behaviors in line with my goals? And if they're not on a given day or a given week or a given month, you're like, okay, how can I realign my behavior with my goals? Instead of being like, I have no willpower. I'm so weak. I'm so, whatever it is that we can take out the hammer and beat ourselves with is like to say, okay, that's interesting. Get curious about it and say, that's interesting. I see I've slipped. I wonder what's going on for me. And then sit down and meditate on that and say like, what's happening in my life that I see that my behaviors and my goals are, are a little misaligned right now. How can I bring them back in alignment? Are those still my goals? Is that still what's important to me or do I need to change my goals? And then you can realign your behaviors with your goals like that. So I think it's the, the self, giving yourself a little grace and a little space to be human in the change process is pretty critical. 
Yeah, definitely. And, and also life is a journey. So we can't be perfect all the time. No one ain't perfect all the time. Ever. So <laughs> right. Can't even be a goal. <laughs> yeah. Right. So what's your truth that's gotten you this far in your journey? What's my truth that's gotten me this far? Sincerity. Working from a very sincere place. Speaking the truth as I understand it and understanding that not everybody is going to receive that. Not everyone's going to hear that, but I just think, I think sincerity has been like my number one and yeah, an alignment with my deeper values. So if you're able to give yourself one piece of advice when you first started out, what would it be? Hmm. Probably listening to myself more, like tapping into my own inner wisdom much earlier and trusting myself more. It's taken me five decades to learn to trust myself and, and trust that inner voice as being something that can guide me in my decisions. And if I could have turned the camera back 30 years and listened to my inner voice then, I would have probably, I wouldn't have learned as much, but I think life might've been a little less painful at times if I had done that. So Tara, if there is somebody that's listening that would love to work with you, what's the best way to contact you? Best way is either with email at coachatara, C-O-A-C-H-A-T-A-R-A at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook under Atara Weisberger. I'm on Instagram under Atara Weisberger and also under Tribe Coaching. You can find me there also. And I'm on LinkedIn too under Atara Weisberger. Perfect. I'll put all those links down below. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your expertise. Thank you so much. It was really fun. Yeah, definitely. And if you're listening, you want more information about this podcast and upcoming shows, you can visit a call to thrive.com. Thank you everyone. And have a wonderful week.